When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. And this week, your Harry Potter friends are putting on their detective caps and trying to figure out who put Harry's name in the Goblet of Fire. And while we're at it, can somebody please call Ron a wambulance, please? Today's intro written by Micah. His opinions are not the ex... (laughs) Blah, 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 blah. Exclusive <laughs> opinions of the rest of us. No, <laughs> not... no, actually, I I think this might be a unified front. Don't we all agree Ron needs the wambulance? That's a, a hell of a welcome back, Andrew. I thought you would be a little bit nicer upon my return. <laughs> Micah, do you need the do you need the wambulance? Okay. <laughs> I'm just telling people who wrote the intro. Mm-hmm. Well, Listeners, you're all excited that Micah is back, right? We love hearing your feedback, especially when one of the hosts returns. They uh, cl- Clearly, we all need a pat on the back when we take a <laughs> week off and come back. But I saw this comment on Spotify this week. Potter Hobbit wrote on our latest episode, By far one of the funniest, most laugh-out-loud episodes I've heard in a good while. I may have to listen again because I laughed through parts of the discussion. Also, James Durbin's single is fire. So thanks, Potter Hobbit, for sharing that feedback. This was the feedback for the episode that 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 Micah was not on. Right. <laughs> well, you know, look. Excellent. Only the best can sit in my shoes when I'm not here. There you go. Micah always brings the lulls. James was great. Uh, yeah, he yeah. was. I, I really enjoyed him on the show. Spotify users, you can tap into an episode and you'll see a box asking, what did you think of this episode? And then we'll get that feedback and we can actually publish it to the episode page, which is really cool. So I published that comment from Potter Hobbit. So if you use Spotify, please do drop us some feedback that way. If you're not on Spotify or if you are and you want to reach out to us a different way, you can always record a voice memo on your phone and send that to MuggleCast at gmail.com. Or you can write to the same email address. And then there's also a feedback form on MuggleCast.com. Or you can use our phone number, which is 1-920-3-MUGGLE. 1-920-368-4453. And speaking of feedback, it's been quite a few minutes, but we will finally have a Muggle Mail episode on March 19th. We will be recording it March 14th. So if you have any feedback about anything, send it on in now and we might include it on that Muggle Mail episode. All right. Without further ado, it's time for chapter by chapter and we're discussing chapter 17 of Goblet of Fire, the four champions. And we'll start with our seven word summary. Cedric fails to be. Oh, sorry, I, I cut was... off Laura. <laughs> we can go with B. That's fine. The only champion. Oh, 
Cedric fails. I was setting it up so high. <laughs> Cedric to fails a... to live by the end of the book. Oh. oh, that's yeah. I wasn't going in that direction. It's a little dark. We wanted to start off with a little bit of fun here. The first discussion being who put your name in the Goblet of Fire, Harry? And we know that this is really one of the moments from the films that grinds fans' gears to no end <laughs> because Dumbledore rushes into the trophy room, throws Harry up against the trophy case, and screams like Dumbledore has never screamed before. <laughs> and I don't, are people actually mad? I, it's just turned into a meme at this point. Well, and it's a very no, good I, meme. I'm still mad, Andrew. I, I, I like I would call this moment divisive, but I've actually never met anybody that actually thinks it's a good decision. That was it was certainly a decision that was made for True. the film adaptation. But who thinks that this is OK? Honestly, no, it's not. And I think one reason it's not OK is because I'll quote the book now. Dumbledore was now looking down at Harry, who looked right back at him, trying to discern the expression of the eyes behind the half moon spectacles. Did you put your name into the Goblet of Fire, Harry? He asked calmly. And I think this can be read in a way that suggests that Dumbledore is reading his mind. And this is why he trusts Harry's answer when Harry says no. But in the film, if Dumbledore is raging, can he really read Harry's mind in that moment? It's probably more difficult to when you're having like a panic attack. No, the way the way that the movie Dumbledore gets results is by physically demanding and and threatening and being a threatening presence. It's right. the exact opposite of Dumbledore in this book. I will say that I always felt the reason behind it was to convey the severity of what had just happened. Yeah. You don't need to tell Harry that. Harry thinks he's going to get creamed. Yeah, look, first <laughs> off, this this may be one, the one and only time we don't throw shade in the direction of David Yates because he did not direct this film, so we can't blame oh, him for Dumbledore's Yates gets actions. Yates the reprieve. Here. But yeah. it, it's a very intense moment. And Andrew, I think you wanted us all to do our best Michael Gambon impersonations. How did we interpret this moment? So we're all going to take turns doing our best reading of this line, as it should be in, let's say, the TV show. Does anybody want to go first? So oh, so we're we're not doing wrong answers only because I was prepared for wrong answers only. Do a wrong answer. I'll, I'm <laughs> preparing a goofy answer, of course. So, <laughs> um, so I'm imagining chaos loving Dumbledore. Did you put your name into the Goblet of Fire, Harry? <laughs> 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 Gossip Queen Dumbledore. <laughs> and then he's like, XO, XO. Big old <laughs> wink. I'm going to try and do it the way that I think Gambon should have delivered the line. Okay. Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Did you ask another student to do it for you? No, sir. <laughs> I see. Thank you, Harry. Go stand over there with the others. Eric just turned on the acting. That was good. Damn. I feel like that's calmly. That's calmly. Yeah, that is, yes. Yeah, that was very good. It's it's not it's not like he's not present in the moment. He's absolutely you can be present in the moment without throwing a student against a damn bookcase. Yes, right. Mm. Exactly. 
Well, I can go next. And I actually have Dumbledore's half moon spectacles here. So to assume the role fully, I'll put them on. Oh, oh it's perfect. Yeah, I bought these months ago and I've yet to actually use them. You know when Andrew brings props to a MogoCast recording <laughs> that it's going to about to get lit? I have this and the Trelawney glasses on standby for any moment. Oh, it's perfect. Okay, so this is what I'm sort of thinking. Like, hey, so uh, look, Harry, I got a little cue for you. A little, you know, a little, <laughs> little question kind of. I'm kind of a bit goblet curious right now. I was wondering, buddy boy, did you uh, maybe put your name in the old gob gob over there when no one was looking? Huh? What do you think? Huh? Huh? That was the very old gob gob. The, the old gob gob. He's trying Harry to be like boy. friendly and cool. Yeah, you know? no, the, it definitely it's giving like hello, fellow kids. <laughs> like that's Dumbledore trying to be like the cool youth pastor. <laughs> Talking mm-hmm. to Harry right now. Oh, just let me know. We're buds. We're buds, right? You can be honest. You know who else had an important cup? Harry. The Lord. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Lord Voldemort. Like Jesus? Oh. <laughs> Jesus had an important cup. <laughs> anyway. Micah, what do you got for us? You know, I almost see it as Dumbledore coming down and staring at Harry, but then all of a sudden, in walks Hagrid and brushes <gasps> Dumbledore aside and says, Harry... Did you go put your name in the goblet of fire? I was just drinking out of that earlier, and I didn't see no paper in there. <laughs> Hagrid's oh, doing all of Dumbledore's dirty work. Uh, so funny. Who, who knew? Does anybody else know besides obviously those who've listened to Southern Hagrid? But uh, <laughs> did we know that Micah has all these good accents in him? No. When they come out, it sure is a treat, though. So which one do we think is most likely to happen on the TV show? Well, Eric's for sure. <laughs> I can also you, see. Well, th- well th- thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll accept my Emmy Award uh, next coming season. Uh, no, I just think it's the most likely. In fact, they better have a serious, calm version because I need to see before I die a live action Dumbledore who is not. This is my this is my bucket list. Number one item. See a Dumbledore who is collected and everything is happening to him, but he's taking it all in. And that's that's the nature of Dumbledore in this chapter is he's collected. He may not be in control, but he's just ruling out everything. Harry, did you do this? No. Okay. Yeah. And And moving on. Trying to read his mind. Now I'm imagining visiting Eric on his deathbed in 50 years. And he's like, Andrew, it was so great doing MuggleCast with you for for for, <laughs> for decades. But but we never got that calm Dumbledore, did we? We never got it. And I'll be like, Eric, I brought my half moon spectacles for this moment. I'll do it for you in person one more time. <laughs> and with his last breath, he hears me do my crappy Dumbledore impression. <laughs> oh, I love you. Oh, Dumbledore. I thought- Your Dumbledore impression is probably my favorite thing, Andrew. It really is. I thought you were going to say to him, Andrew, that he can debate it with Michael Gambon in just a couple of hours. <laughs> wow. I will say, Andrew, for future half moon glasses wearing, I've learned that you actually don't put them up on the top of your nose. You hang them off the bridge and look above them. Oh, right. that's yeah, kind that of the surmise Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. kind of like how. Okay. I got you. Now I can actually wear these the whole episode and not be interrupted. Are they blue light filtering? Unfortunately not. (laughs) They should be. Well, that was a lot of fun. And we're going to have some more fun right now because the way I wanted to go about talking about this chapter was I thought we could analyze the suspects. Let's take a look at how guilty we think 
some of these characters are that are in the room with Harry. And we could do this on a scale from one to 10 after we go through each character. A scale of one to 10 fakies. Is that the uh, criteria we're judging? Yeah, I put that in. uh, One to 10 fakies. Yeah. All right. Well, let's start with suspect number one, Ludo Bagman. He is over the moon that Harry's name has come out of the Goblet of Fire. He says it is absolutely extraordinary. It's amazing. And there can't be any ducking out at this stage. It's down to the rules and Harry (laughs) is obliged. Now, there are a couple kind of interesting moments with Bagman. He wipes his round boyish face with his handkerchief. To me, this would imply that he was sweating during this whole exchange that's going on. He defers to Barty Crouch Sr. for the official decision. And the reason I think he does this is because he knows full well that his own word really doesn't mean a damn thing. And that Crouch, his word though, will be respected and accepted. Now, this other moment where things start to get a little bit suspicious is when Moody starts talking, Ludo starts looking very anxious. He's bouncing nervously up and down on his feet. So he's displaying a lot of actions and and attributes of somebody who is hiding something or somebody who is very nervous, very on edge. And his character kind of changes throughout the course of this chapter, right? Like he's super excited to start when it's just him and Harry and he's talking with Harry. But then when the adults come into the room, He gets a little bit on edge. I think it's clear that he's probably the least likely to care if real danger comes to Harry. He does not see Harry as a a a person or so he doesn't think that it's dangerous at all that this has occurred to a 14-year-old. He's just seeing, I think, dollar signs. Yeah. Because he knows that Harry's character is such that Harry will follow through on, you know, making it count. Uh, being the champion, Harry's going to try. And I think Bagman is knows that he can bet on Harry uh, to be winning this thing. And then in that case, he gets to make some of the money back that he's he's very in the hole to the goblins. I was also thinking he's thinking of it from a kind of a circus perspective, like by having a fourth champion, that's this is going to bring a lot more attention to the Triwizard Cup tournament. So that's why he's very excited about what's going on. You described him having this excitement about him and him being impressed with what just happened. Like he's living through history right now. I don't know. Maybe he views it as a positive distraction from the other issues that may come up in relation to how deep in the hole he is with the goblins. We know that he's in a school right now with two students who he owes a lot of money to. He just came from standing in front of all of those students in the Great Hall and probably saw them. I I think the Great Hall is described as being small enough that Dumbledore is able to directly make eye contact with certain students to kind of impress a point upon them. So um, it, actually, Laura, he just has his eye trained on the Weasley twins at all times. Well, <laughs> he knows times. where they're That's seated. right. That's yeah. right. Those and those half moon spectacles just make it so much clearer. Um, but <laughs> but anyway, I think it could be a combination of things. I think he probably is excited about it, but 
it could also serve as a nice distraction from uh, the other drama that he has simmering beneath the surface. Barty is genuinely excited about this. He is a showman. He's an ex-Quidditch player. Ludo. He loves the attention and he loves just the showmanship of this, the razzmatazz, the razzle-dazzle that, that that Harry is this cog in the works that nobody expected uh, to be part of this tournament. And it's just going to blow everybody's mind. And that's what he's excited. So he's he's really vamping, but he has the least amount of concern. Uh, for Harry's safety or what might be like a cheating attempt. He's just thrilled for Harry. So I would say his fakie count of being like a high suspect is pretty high. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think some of it may just have to do with the fact that, you know, in terms of his behavior, whether it's the sweating or the bouncing up and down is he really wants this to happen. And so with all these other adults around him talking about the possibility that maybe Harry doesn't have to compete, he kind of wants it to happen. And I feel like we've probably all been in those types of situations where, you know, it's like, oh, I may not get what I want. I may not get what I want, but he doesn't want it because he wants Harry to die. He just wants Harry to compete to your point because it's dollar signs. It's it's media attention. This is the greatest thing that could have ever happened to the Triwizard Tournament to your point, Andrew. Yeah. But on the scale of everybody we're talking about today, the suspects, I'm mm-hmm. I'm gonna put him around a five to six fakies. Yeah. Yeah. Because others are gonna score higher. I gotta imagine for most people who would be reading this book for the first time, he would be pretty high on the suspect list because mm-hmm. of his behavior. Well, and also because he's a new character, right? Like mm. I yeah. think naturally people's attention tends to be drawn to newer characters. I think we see that with Karkaroff as well. Um, But what I think is so interesting about this scene, no matter which way you slice it, is all the people who are in this room are people who have ties back to the first wizarding war. And it's just very, it's just extremely interesting to me to see all of these personalities in the same room, including uh, Fakie, Professor uh, Fakie. And the fact that he he's really like the pinnacle of evil in this book, apart from Voldemort. And before we move on to Karkaroff, let's also not forget that Bagman was kind of at the scene of the crime mm-hmm. for the Quidditch World Cup. That's so right. you can make some connection of threads there that, well... He was the he was the main guy there, and look at what happened. And now he's the main guy here, and look at what's happening. Trouble just seems to follow him everywhere that he goes. That's True. a great point. And he ke- he keeps on wanting to help Harry through the tournament as well, um, Bagman mm. in particular. And that could be shady. Could be, if we already don't trust him, that could be pretty shady. And we are always suspicious of somebody who uses ahoy. <laughs> <laughs> main suspect number two. Igar Karkaroff, he really does make the biggest stink out of everybody. And it's said that he has a steely smile, but his eyes were colder than ever. And he addresses Dumbledore by saying, we were under the impression that your age line would keep out younger contestants. Now we'll get back to the age line in a minute, because I think there's a major loophole here that needs addressing. But Karkaroff throws out this resubmission proposal. And I thought, what better way to kind of mask your own guilt than by appearing to be fair and balanced? He throws out this idea of having two champions, right? Hogwarts now has Cedric and Harry. 
it's important that Bobeton and Durmstrang also have two now. And I think he's trying to cast some suspicion away from himself. We know he's a former Death Eater from having read through the series. With that in mind, who better to put Harry's name in the Goblet of Fire than a former Death Eater? Is he almost calling Dumbledore's bluff by saying, let's go, let's do this resubmission idea. And he knows Dumbledore is going to say no. And then he's deflecting by suggesting we do this to begin with. I almost feel like Karkaroff is too obvious. You know, when you're if you watch like a murder mystery movie, there will be that character that's like the red herring that they're really trying Mm. to distract you with. I feel like that's Karkaroff's purpose here. So Mm. in terms of his purpose, I would definitely give him a high number of fakies, like probably seven to eight. But in terms of being a critical reader and a critical sort of uh, interpreter of any kind of media. I really like murder mystery as a genre. Um, The character that seems the most likely to be guilty is never the one who did it. So (laughs) I would remove him. But I will just add here, I had no idea who it was when I first read the book. I was 11, so I didn't know. Yeah, (laughs) I... I don't recall really thinking through this this way, the way in which we're doing it in this chapter. It's very fun and very exciting. I just think I was like, wow, something's happening. Yeah. <laughs> Something <laughs> sure is strange. Yeah. Something sure is amiss. You know, uh, I was definitely not weighing the pros and cons uh, and rating people on their fakies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we only knew where we would be. 20 year 24 years later <laughs> yeah let's go with that let's go with that uh, i definitely also uh think that so much of what makes kargarov a likely culprit is not being discussed directly here mm. um and you know we don't we don't know yet about yeah. his dark mark and his past history as a death eater at this time he is just the person who is the most butthurt of you know that this occurred yeah, if we did know that at this point, we would, we would probably be much more suspicious. The only other mm. point I could bring up in terms of like why we would suspect Karkaroff is because Moody and him had a bit of a riff the last chapter, which I think was trying to set us up being doubtful of Karkaroff. He's blocking mm. the door. Mm-hmm. Moody tells him to move. Moody clearly doesn't like him. And if our boy Moody has a problem with him, then maybe we shouldn't like him either. Yeah, that is exactly it. And Moody poisons the waters even further by coming in and talking to Karkaroff. He says that it's convenient that this happened. Don't you think so, Karkaroff? I'm like, oh, so here we learn that it can't just be that another student as a prank or that Harry himself or somebody thought he could win it. Somebody could actually want him dead. And so the way that Moody phrases it and like lobs that grenade at Karkaroff specifically and say, don't you think it's convenient that this happened is meant to convey that there is more to the story and that Karkaroff can have some evil intent, which we know, I mean, on paper, he certainly could Mm -hmm. want Harry dead. It's also very cool that we have this ex or ex death eater exchange happening Mm -hmm. in this moment when these two things were relatively unknowns to us prior to this book. Absolutely. So that's kind of going on a little bit below the surface. But 
One thing Karkaroff does do, one thing he brings up is the age line. And this prompts Dumbledore to ask Harry if he had another student put his name in on his behalf. And I'm just wondering, is this actually possible? (laughs) Because if it is, it is the single (laughs) easiest way to break the rules. Fred and George could have just gone to a bunch of seventh years and said, hey, drop our names in the goblet, please. Paid them off. Yeah. I mean, this can't be possible, can it? It it has to be possible because that's what Dumbledore is asking. I mean, yeah, I mean, Dumbledore is basically confirming it's possible. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like the most easy way around it that Dumbledore, who drew up this age line using who knows what advanced magic, didn't think about it. It was too close. It was too obvious and too simple that Dumbledore didn't think about it. Well, I guess maybe you would think, okay, if somebody does put in a name of another student who's underage, we will find out who did it because we'll ask that person whose name came out of the goblet. Also, what are the chances that somebody's name is going to get pulled out of the goblet? There's a one in what? 100 chance? I don't know how many Hogwarts students enter. So there's a thin chance that that person will even come out of the goblet. But then once it does, you can interrogate that person and uh, find out who put their name in. So, And then I guess maybe the students would hesitate from doing this because then they could potentially get in trouble at the school. So there's like unspoken reasons why you wouldn't want to ask somebody to put your name in. And you make a great point, Andrew, in terms of just how would it even be possible that Harry's name would come out of the Goblet of Fire given all the other Hogwarts students' names that likely would have been in there as well. But we're going to talk about that with Mad-Eye Moody. Yes, and first we are going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. All right, so our third and final main suspect, we're gonna talk about a few honorable mentions, is Mad-Eye Moody. And Moody essentially lays out how he did it right in front of everybody including Dumbledore. Emphasis on the dumb in Dumbledore because he doesn't wow. even pick up on it. You know it. what? Go, go miss another week of the show. <laughs> we've finally, we've finally reached that point where Micah and Andrew fight to the death over Dumbledore's honor, which, by the way, Dumbledore does not care. I'm honestly surprised nobody has said that in the almost 20-year history of this show. Yeah, that is that is a good line. I'll give that to you. Now, He goes on to say, someone put Potter's name in knowing he would have to compete. A skilled witch or wizard put Harry's name in the Goblet of Fire. It would take an exceptionally strong confundish charm to bamboozle the goblet into forgetting only three schools compete in the tournament. Potter's name was submitted under a fourth school to make sure he was the only one in the category. (laughs) He's just, he's like, here. I'm going to tell you how I did it. He, <laughs> but don't look on my way. He cannot help himself. <laughs> he cannot help himself. This is so delicious to be in this room, rub it in everyone's face while simultaneously pointing the blame at ex Death Eaters that he has beef with. Uh, pretty much everyone in the room that has a legitimate grudge against Harry, like Snape, deflecting the blame on himself while telling them exactly how he did it is top. Barty Crouch Jr. This is like a top, top, top moment for me. It's so cool. And just hiding in plain sight. Dumbledore trusts who he thinks is Moody. 
he sees no reason to suspect him. Yeah. I think it's kind of just as simple as that. He's not necessarily Dumbledore. No, but it is a very funny contrast because I think we see Dumbledore quite a bit throughout the series being kind of proud of his own cleverness. And we're seeing Barty Crouch Jr. do the exact same thing here. It's just what Mm. he's doing is malevolent. Dumbledore is a little bit more on the chess game of the greater good vibe, as we know. Um, Yeah, I mean, I guess if you were clever over in the woods over there, but you don't tell anybody about it, were you really clever? He's like, gotta tell everyone. Right. He's leaving breadcrumbs like all year, basically. I mean, and a confundus charm. He actually names the bit of magic uh, that he uses to do it. It's just unbelievable. For his troubles, and I know we've been praising Barty Crouch Jr. a lot this book so far, we finally have a sound effect that I think we should play when we uh, give Barty a plus one. Thumbs up. Nice job, man. You know what this means, don't you? (laughs) I'll be welcomed back like a hero. <laughs> yeah, good old, good old fakie. Yeah. It was also brought up about, you know, why Harry would do this. There's a chance that he could die. And Moody responds by saying, well, maybe somebody is hoping Harry will die in this tournament. So it's just, it's such an amazing bit of writing, but just also the character of Barty Crouch Jr. here. You know, we, we talked about it, his feelings towards Karkaroff are masked in a way, but they're also real, right? Like it's this split personality almost. Do we do we label him a psychopath? Do we think that's a fair way to look at Barty Crouch Jr.? I think so. Yeah. Based on everything we've discussed so far. Yeah, he has those tendencies. We don't know his specific trauma. We do know he's been in Azkaban, so that'll make anybody a little crazy, a little unhinged. Mm-hmm. The last thing with Moody I just wanted to talk about was Karkaroff tells him that he seems to have given how all this happened a great deal of thought. And this is delivered in a way in the movie when you couple it with him swigging the flask every five seconds that you know something is up with with Mad-Eye. But here, I don't know. Like I, I don't find it as suspicious as as it came across in the films. I was curious what you guys thought. Yeah, I mean, they definitely tried to deflect using Karkaroff in the films. I mean, you even have that scene where you see him go into the Great Hall and close the doors at Uh, night, right? So I I think they're they're really trying to lean into stereotypical portrayals of what villains look like and sound like in movies oftentimes. Um, so yeah, I, I think they were playing with that. Absolutely. He's also like low hanging a- fruit too. Like when you think who's the most obvious person, it's Karkaroff, which is why it's not him. Well, it's never the most obvious person. Sometimes if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, I like <laughs> to believe that the duck did it, but not <laughs> not on the media that you read, uh, Laura. No, not no, not in any kind of mystery setting. Yeah, that's just in others, other circles. Well, my thing is, it's such a weak retort for Karkaroff. He's like, oh, sounds like you've given this a lot of thought. Like, he's an horror. That's what he's supposed to do. There's a mystery. He's a detective. Like, this, he detects. It's just such a weak retort that it actually, I think, Karkaroff saying that makes Karkaroff look guiltier than if he had not said it. I will just also add on, on the moody points 
in terms of him being a suspect. Snape has also not been happy with Moody's presence at Hogwarts, and Harry notes that. So I think that's just fur- further evidence that maybe we should not be trusting Moody. And Snape doesn't suspect, I don't think, I hope not, because then he would report it to Dumbledore. But yeah, Snape's not happy with him either. So I put him higher than um, Ludo. I just see Ludo as such like an innocent, happy fellow. I can't, I can't point the finger at him. He's a goofball. I'd put Moody like seven to eight fakies somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. So right now it's it's Karkaroff, Moody, and Bagman in that order. For me, I'd say so. Okay. Well, we do have some honorable mentions, Laura, that you pulled together. Yeah, just because I again really love the genre of mystery and true crime. Um, So I really hyper read into things. Uh, First, I want to start with Barty Crouch Sr. This man is standing in the shadows, all creepy-like. Harry talks about how gaunt and skull-like his face looks. But he's also strictly adhering to the rules of this tournament, even though he definitely knows that something sketchy is up. There is not a single attempt on his part to try and figure out a way around this to spare this underage child from participating in a death tournament. Um, That could be reason for detecting some sketch. I don't think it's as sketchy as some of the other characters we talked about, Um, but someone else would be Snape. Snape is also in the room. What? Let me add something to Barty Crouch Sr. He didn't want to stay at Hogwarts, right? Towards the end of this chapter, right. he was ready yeah. to get out of there, which also adds to his guilt, I think. Oh, yeah, that's a great call out. Thank you for mentioning that. He's trying to run from the scene of his crime. Yes, right. yes. Of course. No, that's that's great. We know why he's actually mm-hmm. uh He's got anxious. a lot else going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's a little he's, stressed. He's Yeah, he's, ba- well, and... And old uh, Weatherby is is driving them nuts. <laughs> <laughs> we we can't. Um, I mean, we can also think of this as as not just being one person. There could be multiple parties involved oh, that's here. That's true. Especially for for something the likes of of getting Harry into this tournament. Now I'm picturing like a basketball move where there's like a layup with his <laughs> name on a piece of paper. Like somebody goes over the age line, somebody else mm-hmm. t- dips it in. Yeah. Well, and as an additional point that maybe adds to the suspicion for Crouch Sr. and Bagman, where does the Goblet of Fire reside when it's not in use? It has to be at the ministry. I'm imagining Bagman's office maintains that. So it's possible you could say that perhaps either Bagman, Crouch Sr. or both tampered with the cup before it even arrived at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to throw Snape in here because Harry's always ready to <laughs> accuse Snape of something. Um, and, and vice versa. It, yeah. And vice versa, which we see in this scene. Uh-huh. He's always looking for a way to get Harry in trouble. He's like, uh, th- this kid is always doing something to get attention. I guarantee he did it. Is this a case where as readers, do we remember if at the time 
we suspected Snape at all? Or had Snape been suspected too many times in the series by this point yeah. for us to think it could have been him? I think it's probably the latter. But for me, I suspect him more now, knowing just how vicious it got between Harry and Snape at the end of book three. I, you know, we knew that it was a huge one up on Snape when Sirius Black gets away and the students mm-hmm. with the time turner and they, they they just Snape really lost out on his order of Merlin and a bunch of Merlin, Merlin, uh, a bunch of other stuff there. So I think that if there were ever a book for Snape to actually break bad and put Harry in active danger, it would be in retribution for the events of the most recent book. So I actually do like Snape for this, at least as a contender for the whodunit, because he's right out the gate, again, blaming Harry, and it is suspicious. Yeah, though I will ask the question now, what is Snape doing in the room to begin with? He has no business there. And the reason why I say this is because if you look at who's in the room, there's somebody there for each of the champions. Right, McGonagall is there for Harry. You have Maxime there for Fleur. You have Karkaroff there for Crumb. By that logic, Sprout should be there for Cedric, (laughs) not Snape. (laughs) Yeah, Snape is subbing for Sprout. She's not feeling well. And then you have the other officials who are running the tournament. Right. Um, Again, by that logic, you could also ask why is Mad Eye there? Right. Though those two just don't belong in the room at this moment. Here's the thing about that. I think Snape is just a guy that you want around when some bad is going down. Snape is actually a really accomplished wizard in so many ways. He can do nonverbal magic. He has like the fierceness in the fire. He's a skilled legilimens. Like I would want him by my side if my school was like about to crumble to the ground, despite the personal differences. And you can kind of see it in Dumbledore's, like voice and actions in this chapter. Same with how he deals with Moody is like, okay, Alastor, like it's like, okay, Severus, like, you know, sit back down. You're here because of what you can do to help, not what you can do to like hinder or raise tensions. And then I have one wild card. I want to throw out here. Madame Maxime, hear me out. Who would suspect? She really flies under the radar in this scene, but there's another area earlier on in this book where she also flies under the radar and that's at the Quidditch World Cup. So you'll remember that the trio was in the forest in the midst of all the panic and confusion. They run into a group of girls who are speaking French and one of them says, where is Madame Maxime? So they apparently could not find their headmistress while there was uh, a Death Eater Klansman march happening. So if the author had really wanted to pull a fast one here and p- really pull the wool over everyone's eyes, this would have been the move. It's always the French. So understated, too. <laughs> it's always the French. It's always the French. Nice. I love I love Laura that you've taken it for again, you said this, but like from a very murder mystery aspect of who was like, we don't know that the person who cast the dark mark at the Quidditch World Cup and the person who put Harry's name in the Goblet of Fire are actually the same person. Mm-hmm. That doesn't have to have been the case, but it absolutely is the case. 
But knowing that, we were like reverse backwards and just figuring out who's at the Quidditch World Cup and who's right here in this room right now. I love that you're like pooling your suspects from that criteria. So while we're at it, why not add Dumbledore to the list? No. Dumbledore is not at the Quidditch World Cup. No, 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 no. I don't care if he's at the Quidditch World Cup. Putting Harry's name in the Goblet of Fire. He he loves the drama. (laughs) <laughs> he's getting excited for reasons similar to uh ludo he's yeah like, oh, dumb, boy, dumb history. Drama. living history no i don't accept that no i think i think given as an honest option no because yeah dumbledore in this chapter is forced to be very diplomatic and he's you know i think dumbledore takes seriously that he's being accused of cheating right here mm. I, I you know he is the way he handles the other I want to say foreign dignitaries, the way he handles the other headmasters <laughs> and is like really working on seeing if there is an alternative just trying here. to get them to have a nightcap. He's really trying hard at the end <laughs> of the does, chapter. He does kind of what, yeah. Uh, what's a drink? Yeah. Somebody wants a drink, right? Come on. Yep. All right. Well, that was a lot of fun talking about uh, the usual suspects, but let's move on and talk about this magical contract that comes up and is referenced multiple times in this chapter. And I know we've talked a little bit about it in prior episodes, but now that the moment is actually here, do we think that it's fair Harry has to compete? No. No, no of course so not. This is so unfair. They keep talking about these rules, like, oh, that's the rules, that's the rules, no going back now. He didn't put his name in the goblet. As we later learn, of course, somebody did it for nefarious reasons. There should only be one uh, champion per school. He was the last name to come out. He's underage. There's so many reasons why he should not be uh, forced, really, to compete in this tournament. Yeah, but the rules say no takesy backsies. Yeah, I know. The this this mystery rule book <laughs> that we never really learned the details of, but this old darn goblet coughs up his name and suddenly sorry harry you have to sacrifice yourself yeah sure you're number four yeah sure maybe the goblet just had the hiccups that day and maybe he didn't even they didn't even intend for you to come out of this cup but that's it you're done for it's so unfair it's so unfair this is what i really feel for harry not having parents like but even then like where is molly if i were molly or arthur or um, serious, I'd be like, um, guys, Dumbledore, come on, we're pals, right? What are you thinking with this? Oh, that's the rules. We're unenrolling Harry. Yeah, yeah, pull him out of school. For me, this is definitely something I thought about while doing this reread. I never would have thought of this like 22 years ago. But the level to which the adults in the room are all out of their depth when it comes to this is shocking to me. This is like, if Dumbledore and Marty Crouch Sr. and Ludo Bagman can't change the rules or can't get out of Harry's name being drawn. And the reason they can't get more champions involved is they say the goblet's like gone cold. They don't control the goblet at all. Like they have dug. Where did they find this thing? It was in its casket, probably in a tomb somewhere. Bill Weasley found it. It's like, this is fun. Let's do it. Like, it they're like up yeah, paper. what a great idea. What an incredible they, magical object. <laughs> they have no control over it at all whatsoever. And it's got to be humbling to them 
because these adult wizards, we know Dumbledore, think about what Dumbledore does in uh, book six, right? To get into Voldemort's cave. He's like feeling the wall and he's like doing this advanced level of magic to figure out what it is you're supposed to do. And he can't figure out a way to get the Goblet of Fire's like magical rules to be unbinding on somebody who didn't even put his own name in. Wow. That just shows that you're never too old uh, to like completely be in over your head when it comes to just old magical artifacts. Right. It's a good lesson for us muggles too. It never gets easier, (laughs) y'all. I would put more of the blame less on Dumbledore. I know Andrew's gonna be shocked here. More I'm very more on the ministry. In that and I know Barty Crouch Sr. is is very much preoccupied here with a lot of things that are going on in his life, but and he just wants to get home. But this is his responsibility. And presumably he could reach out to some of the best there are to figure out how to rectify the situation. And he just hightails it. He d- he doesn't even seem to care. It's like, oh, what's another kid in the tournament? I'm serious. Like, <laughs> no, I know. I know. I'm laughing in agreement with you. I feel like someone, I'm trying to find it. Someone in the Discord pointed out that Crouch Sr. may actually be under the Imperious curse at this point in the book. Yeah. Yeah. He's under his son's Imperious curse, which uh, Brody Crouch Jr. is doing a lot this chapter. Um, But yeah, I- Well, Ludo isn't. Okay, so let's- I'll, I can shift some of it onto Ludo then, the responsibility. No, no, no. Like, I, you're, you're, you're right. Ludo's just happy to be there and happy to have controversy, and it's going to sell a lot of papers or make him rich in the gambling room. Um, but yeah, I mean, Crouch, his it's just, again, and in the movie, even one-opted it by being like, the rules are absolute. You know, it's just like, who's, who thought of this crap? This is so dangerous. This is just absolutely well, insane. It's fine if the rules are absolute, but from a person who actually had the intention of putting their name in, yes. not from yeah. somebody who had their name in put in unwillingly, unwillingly. even by the others, even by another student. Yeah. Unwillingly. It, that's exactly why the unbreakable vow is so much better than this garbage. Are there not fingerprints <laughs> in the wizard world? <laughs> fingerprints. You know, Actually, Meg, Meg and I were talking about this. She had the idea that what if the Goblet of Fire actually judged or graded the person that put in a name, not the person whose name oh, is on the slip yeah. of paper? Yeah. By reading the fingerprints. But what yeah. if Barty Crouch Jr. was wearing gloves? Yeah, why not cameras? Yeah. Why not? I mean, there's so many answers here. Because what if what if somebody has like, like if I put my name in and I really wanted to win, I have such handwriting there's no guarantee that the goblet of fire could actually read my name and then am i disqualified but let me ask you all this if harry wasn't in the tournament would we have had this book no no yeah well exactly so wait, why are we all we complaining? W- wait we would have had this book though it's not like she would have jumped to year five for me again it's just what do the adults learn from this is yeah. you know we love pointing we love pointing out that hogwarts is a security nightmare but there is a hope that they make changes and fix it <laughs> We have a hope. We have a dream. It's One consistently day. getting worse. Like, whose idea was it to unearth an ancient artifact that sends four students to their deaths? Pretty yeah. much. Well, only one this time. Ouch! <laughs> Ouch! I have an idea. Go ahead, I Laura. was going to say, Eric, kind of related to the point you mentioned um, about Meg's interpretation of the goblet. I'm also wondering, you know, the goblet is 
I guess, somehow in possession of some kind of power that allows it to determine based off of a scrap of paper with a person's name on it, whether or not they're worthy to compete in the tournament. But it can't tell that that person didn't actually write their own name. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or or in the well, this is where the confundist charm comes in that it was there like a fourth school like. Harry was listed as a fourth school. Right. So he was the only one on the list of the pool of. Yeah, no, I guess. But also, like, <laughs> it couldn't tell that Harry didn't write his own name. Well, but and by that logic, Fred or George could have just written their name under a fourth school. Right. And been selected. We criticize because we love. Yeah. Laura, I think you, you're getting at something I wanted to ask, which was, do we assume some level of sentience for the goblet, similar to the sorting hat, right? And is the goblet actively tracking each of the tasks somehow? Like, what if this comes up a little bit later in, in I don't want to take your point, Laura, but like, what if Harry just says, I'm sitting on the bench? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, does the goblet like shoot sparks at him? Like... <laughs> What happens? <laughs> right. Well, and and we definitely see at least one example of a champion not being able to complete a task, and the cup doesn't smite her. So <laughs> I don't know. The rules are very confusing here. We want more answers. We have a lot of questions about the goblet. I want to introduce. I love how snail song in our Discord. <laughs> was like the the goblet pulls out a gun. <laughs> I wanted to also put a new twist on our Max That segment around the discussion that we're having here. I'm calling this Enhance Max That. Ooh. Or Max Enhance. So I think the TV adaptation should just call... What's happening with the goblet on Unbreakable Vow? We've spoken about this a few times now. I think, Eric, you have raised the point. Maybe um, what's actually happening here is an Unbreakable Vow before Rowling came up with the idea of an Unbreakable Vow. So Mm -hmm. that was my thought. Yeah. Yeah. So the TV show should maybe just lean into calling this an Unbreakable Vow. You have to explain it somehow. I think that'd be a nice kind of update to the core story, like one that we would accept, I think. But doesn't I agree. there have to be some level of willingness, though, on the part of the two participants? Yeah. The, Harry's not willingly doing anything here. He's kind of getting screwed over. Yeah. I mean, that's what makes the Unbreakable Vow so powerful. Like, the reason that you die if you don't do it is because you volunteered, like, you you committed, you consented so, to do it. Yeah. And I, so I think that raises the question, what is the penalty? Like, let's put the Unbreakable Vow piece of it aside for a second. If Harry said, no, I'm not competing, what happens to Harry? Is the series over? Yeah, yeah. Bang. Voldemort comes out of the goblet. Um, It would be funny if they're like, if Dumbledore said to Harry, like, Harry, you have two choices. You can compete or we have to put you back with your aunt and uncle because only then will you be safe. Oh, my God. Only then will he be safe from the Goblet of Fire's like evil retribution. He has to like hide under the cloak for a year. And then Harry should be like, I want a paternity test. (laughs) Please check who wrote my name on that piece of paper. That's true. They have the paper. They could get. I am not the father of that piece of paper. (laughs) <laughs> they could forensic science the piece of paper. Can we get Maury Povich reading his name coming out of the Goblet of Fire? <laughs> <laughs> What's going oh, on this is, 
All right, we need a break. This is going off the rails. <laughs> All right, we will move on to the backlash, but first a quick break so we can catch our breath. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the backlash from Harry's name coming out of the Goblet of Fire. Karkaroff, Maxime are pissed, uh, to say the least. But should they really fear Harry's inclusion in the tournament? He has three years less experience than Crum, Fleur, and Cedric. He should be an easy out. That's kind of a question I wanted to raise to you guys when you're talking about Ludo getting excited to bet. He would bet on Harry winning, right? Like, why are you all so confident that he's going to win? You know, for me, I think it's less that Harry would win and more that there's an increased chance that Hogwarts wins. Because with two champions, yeah, like, so with two champions for Hogwarts and one champion for Durmstrang and Bobaton, there is now a 50% chance that it's a Hogwarts victory. And the whole reason these schools agreed to this is because it's a great chance at eternal glory. So I I think they feel shortchanged, and I think that they have a right to just from a statistics standpoint. Yeah, I I think that's a really great point, because you you want a level playing field in something like this, right? And and I think also taking into account like what this tournament is supposed to represent, right? In terms of the the relationships being formed with international wizarding schools, you're already putting them at a disadvantage by having two champions coming from Hogwarts. It is so funny to think of this as a tournament where these champions compete and yet we're trying to like garner uh international cooperation. But now this distrust from the get-go has really like sown the seeds even further for people to not get along. Oh, great point. So when Harry first enters the trophy room, he feels really small, both literally and figuratively, in comparison to the other three champions. And it's even noted they seem taller than him. Fleur at one point refers to him as a little boy. So... I think for Harry, he's feeling the gravity of the situation. He's feeling the intensity of the moment as soon as he walks in to this room before Dumbledore throws him against the trophy case. And I will also say Mary Grand Prix did an amazing job conveying this in the chapter artwork. You're looking at Harry from above, so he looks smaller. Mm -hmm. He's staring at his long shadow to kind of suggest that he's just by himself. He's got his hands in his pockets. Like this is might be one of my favorite pieces of album art or chapter art across the series. Cause you just feel for Harry in this little illustration that she came up with. That's a good call out. Yeah, I'm just looking at it again, and you're exactly right. There's a, a few times she's spot on. But yeah, you really feel feel for Harry here. I mean, you know he didn't do it. At least Dumbledore is going to trust him. But it must be really hard to have all of these headmasters and teachers at Hogwarts doubting what actually happened. And, and you're to blame, even though you're not really. It's just all this attention is on you, and you didn't cause it. So much of this is giving me flashbacks to like being a freshman. You finally make it to high school uh, and you've come so far like you're in high school now. But then you see a senior, you know, and he's so much taller mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, I'm still small. I'm still a, ch- a literal child compared to a senior. And then you meet a college kid and they're like even old. So I love that Harry is feeling basically vulnerable here. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, he's out of his league. I mean, that's that's what he's not in control of his future. No, but I I think if you look back at the other three books and and the things that he's faced, you could argue that he is well prepared for something like this. But I look at the Triwizard Tournament as as something on a completely different level, right? Like he's in he's in big boy territory now, and he's finally starting to grasp the the reality of the situation. This yeah, isn't, this isn't the same. I think he is just yet to actually process what actually is going to be happening during this tournament. I mean, they haven't shared any details yet. They don't truly know what they're getting into. Harry kind of sees just like this blank slate before him. But he also does recall in this chapter that somebody does want him dead. So it, it this isn't good news for him. Cornflakes, who's listening live on our Patreon, said, I don't think he actually appreciates how out of his depth he will be in the tasks. He thinks about it a little, but then just turns up to each task. So he's built some confidence up, I think, because of his battles so far in this series. But he, I, I don't think he's he's too concerned because he just does not know what he's getting into. He has, nobody I, knows. I think a lot of that, too, is if you think about it long enough, you'll just break down and cry. And mm-hmm. Harry's very much a good like go-to, like, gotta do what I can. And I don't think it's confidence, but I do think that if you just can't hold up a mirror to some of these things that are happening to Harry, like Micah, to your point where you just said it's totally different this year. What I compare that to is like every year prior, Voldemort wanted to kill Harry. This year, the universe itself is going to kill Harry if he doesn't compete and Voldemort wants to kill Harry. So it's like that's how it's different. Well, and he's also on display for the entire school. Which I don't think, yeah. I mean, you could argue he's been on display for the entire school, his entire time at Hogwarts thus far because yeah. of who he is. But in the battles that he's fought, he hasn't been on display in this way, right? Like year one, year two, year three, it's all kind of been going on behind the scenes. It's just kind of him, Ron and Hermione. It's not him in front of not just Hogwarts, but the other two schools that are there. Yeah. So it's a lot different. <laughs> And for the first time, the impression that everyone has of Harry is that he chose this. Right. So some of the other backlash that we see is from Snape. We talked a little bit about Snape already, but he just like any chance he has to take a (laughs) shot, he does it. Mm -hmm. McGonagall, is it Dumbledore who shuts him down? I know McGonagall kind of throws him a look. Yeah. Yeah, it's Dumbledore again. Come on, Severus. Like just- Again, I don't even know why you're in the room. Severus, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole thing too. Like, come on. About the possibility that another student would have put Harry's name in. The only person, the only student who would have tried that in order to get Harry in danger would be like Malfoy. And he's also not 17. So I feel like that's a lack of like potential candidates, unless it's Snape himself who put Harry's name in, which we already talked about. I'm also wondering why Snape's not trying to read his mind. Mm. Because that would solve that question for him uh, yeah i mean snape has veritaserum handy too yeah pulls it out later well that yeah i mean shoving that down his throat in front of all these people might not be the best approach well if but... you want the truth <laughs> <laughs> you want answers we're getting answers yep. Severus, yeah please. so just to kind of wrap up the chapter when harry finally gets out of the the trophy room and and is making his way back to gryffindor tower well, I guess one thing to note is, you know, I think we all do this from time to time. It's like we we have like a it's preset in us, right? Like we drive somewhere, sometimes we don't remember how we got from point A to point B. We just it's 
it's a sign of like, what's the word? Like innate to us or like we learn it over time. Harry, he does the same thing, but his mind is just going so many miles an hour that he doesn't even realize he's made his way back to Gryffindor Tower. Yeah. That's how overwhelmed he is um, yeah. with everything that's going on. Um, but he does make it back and, and he's received by his fellow Gryffindors with a lot of cheers and celebrations and everyone wants a piece of Harry. Um, and it could, couldn't be more of a contrast to when he gets up to his dormitory and Ron is waiting for him and yeah, it ain't good, bro. It ain't good. <laughs> it bumps me out that Ron is feeling this way. I guess Ron is shocked, but if Ron can't believe him, I, I think that really calls into question their friendship. Why should Ron doubt what Harry is telling him? He thinks Harry pulled a fast one on him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he, he starts the sentence with congratulations. Like he's just <laughs> sarcastically assuming that Harry. Fi- yeah. Harry figured it out and he didn't share it with him. It's I could see why that would hurt, but it's not true. And Ron should believe him. Yeah. Harry, yeah. But it's it's also not. Not to say Harry did anything wrong here, but it wouldn't be the first time that Harry withheld information from Ron. Again, that's true. Not to say that any of the prior incidents were super high stakes, but Ron is a character who really stews on things, areas where he feels like he's been wronged. And then eventually when the straw breaks the camel's back, he kind of explodes he, he goes nuclear, and that's what's happening here. And while I don't agree with Ron's reaction, I can kind of understand his initial annoyance. If my best friend did something, or if I thought they did something, that they swore up and down they would never do, that would annoy me. <laughs> mm-hmm. As like one of the people that I am closest to in the world If for whatever reason I felt like they lied to me, I would be annoyed. I might be wrong to be annoyed. So I think Ron's error here is staying mad as long as he does. I don't think it's so much the 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 in-the-moment reaction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he says to Harry, he's like, well, did you use your cloak? He's like, well, he's like, because then it would have fit both of us, wouldn't have, but (laughs) guess not. And it's just like, oh, he wanted to be like included or he wanted a fair shot or yeah, he he's just convinced that Harry found the secret and and left him out. Yeah. And Ron, like Ron is so triggered by feeling left out. That I think is yeah. the crux of all of this. I mean, think back to his mirror of Erised. What yeah. he sees is him on top. Yeah, I uh, Laura, I agree with you. I I don't begrudge him how he's feeling in this moment, but I think to your point, the amount of time he feels it and he just kind of won't let it go. That's the issue. And it's really, it's really tough to watch in the movies. I, I almost forget like how it plays out in the books because it's been such a long time since I've read this. But you know, that whole like exchange of who told who to tell who what. But yeah, so Harry has had a rough <laughs> night to say the least between the Goblet of Fire and his best friend now being on the outs with him. It's particularly devastating that I think the line is like, Harry knew most people wouldn't believe him, but he at least thought Ron would. And then Ron's not there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ron isn't even interested in in hearing any anything other than what I think he wants to hear. 
in this moment. Yeah, his his mind is made up. All right, uh, a couple of odds and ends to get to. I believe, Andrew, you mentioned this briefly, but Crouch is still calling Percy by the wrong name. <laughs> yep, justice for Weathersby. Do we think that's the Imperius curse versus Crouch? Because Crouch Sr. seems like a sharp guy to me. Yeah, well, I think the last time we spoke about this, we were just talking about the respect that Percy actually gets from Crouch. And sometimes a name just sticks with you and that's that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. He clearly hasn't gained more respect. Maybe Percy gave him praise, like you can call me Weatherby, sir. You can call me anything you like, Mister Crouch. Yeah, has he said? <laughs> has he corrected them yet? I mean, I think that's a valid question. Probably yeah. not. Knowing Percy, he probably hasn't. <laughs> Maybe he legitimately thinks that he's Weatherby. He's probably trying to get his name legally changed to Weatherby. Write a fan fiction about that, somebody. And Molly's like resisting. And he's been doing that. I mean, as long as we've known that Percy worked for him, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know if it means that he's been under the Imperious curse since chapter one of this book, or if he's just not paying Percy very much mind. Mm-hmm. He's clearly just distracted. He's got so much else mm-hmm. to, to He has worry more about. important things to do than know his uh, direct report's name. <laughs> yeah, but presumably he would know Arthur and this is Arthur's son and he would know Arthur's last name. So that's where I don't give him a pass. It, we also learned that the first task will test your daring. So that's kind of ominous. And that if Harry wins the whole thing, he's going to get a thousand galleon prize. And just for competing, no tests at the end of the year. He is exempt. Now, of course, I remember about the galleons, but I forgot about this test thing. I would put my name in if it meant I didn't have to do tests all year. You just have to fight a dragon instead. Oh, yeah, maybe not. Here's a question, though. Ron mentions this at the end of the chapter. How does Ron know? Is it because Violet is a hot goss and relayed all this information back to the fat lady who then told all the students? It's that, yeah. It, within this chapter, it just looks like everything, every single thing that was said in the room with the trophies uh, was repeated by Violet, who was apparently talking, uh, you know, announcement style with the fat lady to a, a, just a horde of Gryffindors that were just trying to get to their common room. <laughs> all right. Well, that was my last point. Violet is a hot goss. Excellent. <laughs> and now it's time for our MVP of the week awards. I'm going to give it to two people, actually, this week, Karkaroff and Madame Maxime, for calling out how unfair it is that Hogwarts gets... How very Goblet of Fire of you, Andrew. (laughs) Two bites of the apple. Hogwarts is getting two bites of the apple by having two champions. You know who doesn't give Harry any grief at all whatsoever about how unfair it is that there's two Hogwarts champions? The other Hogwarts champion, Cedric Diggory. Pour one out for my man, the Hufflepuff, who's, you know, just a good boy. And he might not believe that Harry got there on merit or whatever, that he didn't really put his name in, but he's not whining about it like everyone else. I'm going to give it to Dumbledore for being calm. What? Calm. (laughs) Aww. Yeah, we know now that there are multiple options of how to react if you're Dumbledore, uh, and Dumbledore chose calmness. Thank you very, very much, dear Laura. And uh, I am going to give it to Barty Crouch Jr. for bamboozling everyone, not just the Goblet of Fire, and putting the dumb in Dumbledore. (laughs) Putting the dumb in Dumbledore. (laughs) Can we make that a shirt? You know what this means, don't you? 
I'll be welcome back like a hero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you will. will. You keep racking up MVPs, Mr. Barty, sir. We should look at the most MVPs over time. That'd be fun. I, I just think Barty Crouch Jr. is going to be pretty high on the list. I'm picturing like baseball cards for our favorite characters. There you go. <laughs> we'll have Umbridge Suck Count, Dumbledore Lie Count, Barty Crouch Jr.'s Awesome Count, all that. And honestly, I have to think that Harry will have the least number of MVPs. Because <laughs> well, we that's a rule, though, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think that. I think the rule is we can't say Harry in the seven word summary. Yeah, at the start, I think. Yeah. The, the, well, the rule is that it's uncool if you say Harry in the seven word summary. It's like right. too easy because the story, the chapter already says what it he does, you know. Mm-hmm. Next week, we'll discuss chapter 18, The Wang of the Wands. And like I said, we have a Muggle Mail episode coming up in a few weeks. So if you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can email or send a voice memo to MuggleCast at gmail.com. Or you can use our phone number, which is 192033Muggle. That's 192036844453. And then, of course, you can go to MuggleCast.com where there is a contact form. And now it's time for Quizage. Last week's question, what was the birthday present that Mad-Eye Moody received and smashed thinking it was a basilisk egg? This is a line from Karkaroff in this past chapter. The correct answer is a carriage clock, which if you don't know what that is, you'd be forgiven. I think it's like Cogsworth in Beauty and the Beast. It's the clock with the little house and the little dresser drawers in it. Correct answers were submitted by Artemis Fido Jr., somewhat conflicted about the possible extinction of the basilisk, Higgory Diggory Doc Fakey destroyed his clock, and Cedric. <laughs> Madame Maxime cheated on Hagrid with Grop, says somebody. <laughs> the candle chandelier that made Madame Maxime's head hit. The last name Homora, first name Al. Looney and Nevi are the best couple you can't say no. The dark shadows under Crouch's eyes screaming, help me. The kid who worked so hard to decorate the Gryffindor common room. The ripple of anger somewhere underneath Harry's numb disbelief. Jiggly Jane, Buff Daddy, Daisy Sky, Elizabeth K, Fleur de Lal, Fumbledore, CJ, Hannah D, Victoria, Katie from Hufflepuff, Jen Penn, Robbie, Sienna, Lydia, the Snargloff pod that loves Ginny. My Boggart is MuggleCast ending. Reed is coming. Uh, yeah, and Reed is coming, so you better skeeter. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, that wasn't everybody, but these are getting really long. So I love, thank you to uh, all who said. I love Fumbledore. That's a good yeah, one. That's a good one. Putting the thumb in Fumbledore. Thank you to all who submitted. Here is next week's Quizage question. Rita Skeeter's Quick Quotes Quill first describes her by using which adjective? Those with command of the English language are encouraged to respond to next week's Quizich via the form over on the MuggleCast website. Go to MuggleCast.com slash or go to the MuggleCast website, which you should set as your homepage and click on Quizich from the main nav. You can also visit MuggleCast.com for transcripts, social media links, our full episode archive, our favorite episodes, and like I said, to contact us. If you enjoy the show and think other Muggle friends of yours might too, we would love if you told your friends about the show. We have a lot of fun here. Spread the fun around. We would really appreciate that. We'd also appreciate if you left us a review in your favorite podcast app. Also, we have this Etsy store, MuggleMillennial.Etsy.com. This is where you can buy... 
some of our patron gifts from years past while supplies last. We have the Cozy Comfy Combo Pack, which is the MuggleCast beanie and MuggleCast socks at one reduced price. You can also buy those two items separately. We also have our signed album art. We have our build-your-own wooden car sets. We have t-shirts and more. MuggleMillennial.etsy.com is where you can buy all these things and support the show by doing so. And the show is brought to you by Muggles Like You. We don't have any fancy corporate or network funding, and we're very proud of being an independent podcast. So to support us, you can tap into the show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to MuggleCast Gold, which gets you ad-free and early access to MuggleCast, plus two bonus MuggleCast installments every month. And you can also go to patreon.com slash MuggleCast, and that's where you'll get the benefits that I just mentioned, plus live streams, planning docs, the chance to co-host the show one day, a new physical gift every year, plus the MuggleCast Collectors Club. And a video message from one of the four of us, a personalized video message from one of the four of us thanking you for your support. So we have a lot of benefits. We hope you enjoy them. Uh, your support goes to running this show. All right. Well, that does it for this week's episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I said calmly. I'm Eric. I said calmly. I'm Micah. I always say calmly. Man, that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Laura. I think I'm just calm in general. Goodbye! (laughs) Get out of here. (laughs) 